I'm very excited to have uh, my special, special guest, Marion Bevington, Dr. Marion Bevington today. Uh, Marion's going to be on the Divorce TV show doing amazing healing. Uh, but I wanted to have a more in-depth chat with her about the work that she does, or this aspect of it, because she does lots of different things. So I'm going to hand us over now to introduce you to Dr. Marion Bevington. Hello, Marion. Hello, Susie. It's really good to be, to be a part of your great movement. I love it. And to start with, you know, there's lots of different kinds of healings and meditations. Could you just give us, you know, your, yours is quite specific, isn't it? I'd love to know a little bit more about why, why it's different from a normal mindfulness meditation, for example. Um, so the, the key to, for me, the key to all healing is our, what's the understanding of the word healed or uh, a wellness or health. So that's always a really good starting point because obviously unless we know what healing is really meaning to us, then we're, not, we're never going to make any sense of what we do. So really understanding what does healing mean for you as an individual, again, this is a mindful process that you would need to go to to make your own understanding of that for you. But when you are, when you're able to appreciate what it is you want more of, or what you want to do instead, or what the healing means for you, how that would look, then to really become um, mindful, definitely, but with an additional distinction, with an additional way of discerning, what is it that your mind is bringing to your awareness, or what are you becoming aware of in your mindfulness? Um, and so the experience, that the, the part of the healing that I wanted to share with you all at the moment is about the different parts enacted through our psyche and our mind and within our personality. So you can think of the personality like a family. So your personality has a whole family of parts. And so applying mindfulness to this discernment or distinguishing of those different parts um, and using um, mindfulness to also keep you in a, a healthy, resourced, useful state so that you don't get caught up in, um, you know, destructive emotions or old patterns that are not useful for you. To stay in a useful and resourced place, you need mindfulness for that. So, yeah. So if you're a par parent, for example, who are uh, co-parenting and you're angry with the other parent and you recognise, you know, you're evolved enough to recognise this is not a good thing and you're annoyed about it, you just don't know how to turn the switch off for it because the, yeah. they keep triggering you. Um, how, I'm, I'm guessing that this could be quite a powerful uh, methodology to help deal with that. Absolutely, absolutely. So firstly, you're right, the mindfulness of, oh my God, I'm really triggered, I'm really annoyed. Uh, that that person has really hurt me. I've taken it really personally. These are all what we what we can become mindful, and they just make us feel worse, really, because they're tuning us into the pain or the hurt that's there. But the pain or the hurt that's there, we can't deny it either. So we do have to recognise it. And again, that so now I'm already you're going into mental conflict, aren't you? Because you've got this anger or you've got this annoyance that needs expression, and then you've got this family that needs protecting, and you don't want to create more division or more um, heightened emotions because that'll unsettle everybody. So then we've got this inner conflict. How do I keep everything on everything settled and contained, and at the same time allow this anger or this frustration or whatever this is within me to be expressed? because I do want to protect myself, I do want to look after myself, I do need to have boundaries to stop me being um, 
triggered into this angry response or this really hurt place. Um, but I can't deny that hurt place either. So it's, you know, now we're looking at how do we balance between this keeping things cohesive and keeping connection and keeping the, the family together, but at the same time allowing this one part of the family, this one expression within the family, this voice of anger or annoyance, how do we give that the space so that it can be um, heard and it can be received but it's not going to create this explosion. It's not going to create this big split um, that often anger energy can have. And of course, yeah. that's pretty not just for the harmony in the family, but also if you're perhaps going through mediation or trying to deal, you, you can't. Yeah, you know, it's the exploding that can cause an awful lot of trouble, and then people end up spending. I spoke to someone yesterday who'd uh, has, who's been going through the court process. They've already spent twenty thousand pounds, and it's. Like, and it's still not over, so it is. It it makes um, yeah, it makes good sense uh, to really understand how to control these issues, but not control because, as you say, is in you. You've got to let it out, and and you know, you can make you ill, can't it? If you don't deal with it, if you just try and hold it in, and have a stiff upper lip, you know that can have quite severe consequences, can't it? Absolutely. Well, anything that we hold is a contraction in the body. So looking at the body from a physical perspective, it needs to, we need to expand and contract, expand and contract, there's a pattern of life. So if we go contract, contract, and there's no expansion, and there's just contraction, absolutely, that's gonna make the body really ill, and it can, it can create mental illness as well as physical illness. So absolutely, there is no um, denial or bottling up of the, the, the emotional stuff. Um, and it's like the difference between um, if you're if you're really angry, anger is an amazing emotion. This is one of the, the the key parts to the healing as well. I think anger is an amazing emotion. Anger is what can, you know, a mum can lift a car up off a off a baby under the tire if you like. Well, it's anger that provides that motivation. It's anger that provides the energy and the power to lift up the car. So if we knew that we could channel our anger to you know lifting up the cars where we needed to and not going around and killing people who would upset us, but actually use the energy to resource and, um, and to fix the situation, um, rather than make the situation worse, which I think would happen if you did kill somebody, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, uh, Usually. So we can milestones that are positive, you know, with positive intent, but without, uh, you know, without bottling all of this stuff up, because absolutely, it's a pressure cooker. You start bottling it up, and it will, it will eke into other parts of your life. We don't express our anger in the right in the right context. That anger is going to feel like it's not been expressed and it hasn't been allowed, and it will creep up when you're least expecting it. And illness is one of the ways that that happens. Yeah, you're right. And I think for both men and women, we especially in our in England and America, our cultures, we don't know how to express anger in healthy ways. We don't know what to do with it. Um, you're absolutely right. It's that stiff upper lip, and that's contraction. Mm. Yeah, and there's a, a amazing book that really helped me at one point, uh, Colin Tibbins' Radical Forgiveness. And what I remember from that is that what he did that was very different from a lot of people working in that area is he doesn't, as you say, doesn't deny the anger. You have to recognise it, and you have because that's what makes you ill if you don't. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about your own story now. What led you into this uh, field? So, uh, well, health actually, uh, unexpressed anger is a big part of my journey <laughs> um, 
I've got an, an there's an inflammatory condition in my body that has created a, a swelling and you can see it but this eye is much bigger than this eye because the eye is actually being pushed forward by a whole process inside my body and what I now understand the process is about it's labeled as an autoimmune condition which means the body's attacking itself but I don't believe the body's attacking itself the body is attacking an idea that it doesn't like that idea happens to be something about myself um, but actually what I now know is the metaphor which really gave me that's exactly what's happening in my eye was uh, you thinking about the way that we use language and how we interpret language so there's a the keeping an eye out for danger so I was brought up in a house where my parents there was alcoholism there was violence uh, there was rage constant rage and anger on both sides uh, there was a bit of depression in there as well, thrown in for good measure. Uh, ancestral alcoholism, you know, and it didn't start with my parents. They they learned very well from their own ancestry. And so that I was brought into this life as a, a, a helpless being in this, like, torrent of uh, energy, uh, destructive energy. Uh, so keeping an eye out for danger was a really big deal. And so my body is like, it's still doing that process today. It's still keeping an eye out for danger. Because the way that I grew, the, 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 the life that I grew into and the way that my brain was wired was you have to keep an eye out for danger because it's all around you constantly. Uh, and then the other thing that I do is I seek approval. So with alcoholism, we become very, um, uh, we become very needy of, of, of connection because alcoholism disrupts connection and the reason that people are alcoholics the trauma that we drink for the pain that we drink to get rid of is already a disconnection so all of this disconnecting has happened and I'm I've got this seeking approval so again it's this outward reaching energy of mine I need to keep seeking approval I give up on myself in a way sometimes I absolutely sacrifice myself to make the other person feel better because I need them to feel better for me to feel safe so I'm seeking approval and I'm keeping my eye out for danger and then eventually my body actually grew into the symptoms that it has now because these two processes were so um, at the forefront of how I am, of who I am and how I be, <laughs> who I be because of, the, you know, because of the lifestyle I had as a child. So understanding that now, it's taken me about 15 years to get to that understanding since the initial symptoms came. Um, and so in that, along that journey, I've, I lived in India for two years and I studied yoga and yoga therapy and, 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 and Ayurveda and lots of these lovely healing skills. But it was during that time that the symptoms were actually coming out. So I thought I was living like a nun and I'm living in India and I'm a vegetarian and I'm having a great, I'm being absolutely, you know, this kind of um, divine, you know, really, really treating myself really well. But my body was getting sicker and sicker. So there was a massive internal conflict at the time. I was really angry with my body. I was angry with God. I was angry with, with my parents. I was angry with society. I was angry with everybody because it was I was I was being this nun, <laughs> if you like. And why why is the why is this happening? It was like the opposite of what I expected. And now what I understand is the more that we come back into our body, the more that we become ourselves again, the body can actually express what's being stuffed down. And so me stuffing down anger all my life, because if I'd have been angry and outwardly expressed it, I'd, I'd have been beaten by my parents. So I couldn't do it. So I've had to swallow it and swallow it and swallow it. And it's all of that swallowing that I now, in, in my mid-50s, I'm on this journey, I'm still uncovering 
the imbalances in my body, the symptoms in my body um, that resulted from those things in childhood. The beauty of the journey that I've taken is I'm constantly striving for me. And when I find things, I'm a really good teacher and I help people to see how to do what I've done or how to share the knowledge or the wisdom that I've been able to take on. So, so my healing journey now is my expressing what healing is around me to, to other people. And that's been, that's amazing because I never, none of that was ever expected. I did like teaching, I was a yoga teacher and I did like sharing and, and you know sharing information and experiences. I've always liked that. And being in the body, there's always been something for me about how to connect to your own body. And I think it's because I spent my childhood not connect, connected to my body because of the fear. So now as an adult, I'm back in. And, and I know that so many people have exactly the same experience. Maybe not the same story, but the same need for, you know, seeking approval or, or, or fear, fear of danger. I know that we've all got stories similar to that. And so the healing that I'm doing can help others, whatever their story is too. It's interesting what you say about being a teacher, because you, one of the reasons we first met was you were um, one of the very significant people who's helped me with my uh, public speaking which was a most terrifying terrifying concept for me when I first started uh, and you were very very important on that journey so you're a great you're a great teacher whatever you turn your hand to but with the um wanted to ask you with with the the healing work that you're doing um how do you know what are the key things that you have to accept before you can start on that journey because I think a lot of people are reaching out looking for help but you have to engage, you have to take some responsibility for that uh, self-love. And the other thing, if I can throw the question in at the same time, is, is it my imagination? But your eyes did not look at, the, they. it looked so much better. <laughs> I haven't seen you for a while. So has that been um, changing or is it just my imagination? No, it does change. My eye condition does change. Um, yeah, when I'm, when I'm stressed, it looks much more scared actually is what I now notice when I look at my eye that's swollen it just looks really really scared um but there's also because as a child there was violence around so you know I got, I got whacked in the face a lot I've had a few black eyes so it it's almost like it, it's like the memory of, of that punishment as well on the punishment's the wrong word but the memory of that impact that that physical you know the violence and stuff had on me as well it's a uh, combination of you know this fear that I see and that the, but it does it changes a lot with with my state and where I'm at definitely the, the first thing that you mentioned that the, the, the key for me in all of this is that everybody everybody including me everybody is trying their best in every moment sometimes their best is rubbish but everybody is trying their absolute best in every moment. And the reasons when our best is rubbish is when we're triggered into an old hurt or an old pain and we re-embody that old hurt or that old pain, which is where all the anger and the frustration or the depression, that's where all those big emotional experiences live. And so when we get triggered into that place again, it's like this one little piece of our personality, this one family member from our personality, suddenly she becomes centre stage and she's probably still acting as if she's three because that's when she was shocked or that's when the, a, a trauma happened that this aspect of my personality suddenly became crystallized as an aspect of me. But I've been doing it since I was three. So what, one of the things that I know I used to do is I used to put my hands on my hips and I used to shout at my parents, well, go on, hit me again. 
because I'd already been hit. And so I, there was nothing to lose. But actually, there's part of me that's cheeky with her hands on her hips saying, go on, then hit me again. She's just a front for the fear of being hit and for the fear of being disconnected from. She is an absolute front. She's just this mask, if you like. But she's really powerful. And she is about three. So whenever I'm triggered into that place with my hands on my hips, I am absolutely doing my best in that moment. And I'm three. So my best is going to be rubbish usually, you know, especially for dealing, you know, dealing with a, a more complex situation. And when that, and when you're in that space, that aspect of yourself, is that when you do the healing, is are we then looking at a, working rather than just the whole of ourselves? Are we working on a particular part of ourselves that needs that love and attention? Absolutely, absolutely. So the the healing that I do now is when that three year old is here, I allow as much of her to be present but without losing this connection back to the center of me, this bigger, as I call it, the capital S self. And your capital S self is the part of you that comes alive when you are absolutely curious and kind. It's almost a childlike state of awe with the world and this love of how divine everything is. Um, and trust is a big piece, piece of in this to me that now I understand is about what trust feels like. And so if I can occupy my capital S self, compassionate, trusting, uh, and embrace all parts of me, then I can look at this little three-year-old who she is, and I can really discover her story from her perspective, see what is happening for her, and what does she need, so I can then reparent that aspect of my inner child and if I reparent that hurt the next time I get triggered into that place it's different it may not be three anymore or it may be three and wise because I've been able to reparent and instill or install some more resourcefulness into that little aspect of me so that whenever it gets triggered the wisdom and the resourcefulness is available too that sounds amazing but I suppose my first thought though is for those who are listening and thinking i'm just i'm traumatized i don't want to go anywhere near that they they fear yeah. connect, reconnecting with with what's traumatic what yeah. um i mean i get the feeling this is actually a very safe and comforting process that you've created here otherwise you wouldn't be doing it but perhaps you could say a little bit about that to reassure people absolutely, absolutely. well the, the the beginning of any practice it, for me in this situation is about how do i connect to this place of trust how does it feel when I get there? How do I find this open compassion in me? So one of the one of the lovely exercises that I like to do is if you imagine your first pet or your first child or something that when you have that one memory of that, just that one image or that one moment in time, your heart just melts. Yeah, so we've all got some, either a pet or a, or a, you know, a beloved relative or a child that beloved, that sense of the beloved thing. And understand that how you make the connection to that and how you receive the love from that thing. So to build that process, and then imagine putting a mirror between you so that you then receive and give that love back to yourself. So there's exercises and processes that we need to go through before we go deep into the healing methodology. Because you're absolutely right, I'm gonna get lost in my little three-year-old with her hands on her hips, because I'm used to her having center stage. So for her to sort of be on the stage with my capital S self is, is a new situation. 
So we need to take slow steps to make sure that this capital S self is always available. And she's always at least only one step away. It's never more than one step back. And so for this, so for those who are coming new to this uh, on the Divorce TV show and the healing that you'll be giving as a sort of first step, if you like, in what sounds like it could be a very powerful process to keep doing, it's not going to be a one-hit wonder, but a, a good taster for them to experience, what can they expect from that? So the, the, it's to, the expectation, I think, is to really, um, so to allow what happens because often the fear is that I'll be swallowed whole by this huge emotion that's gonna take over me, or I'll get lost in this never-ending pain and never be able to find my way out of it. There's this overwhelm, this fear of an overwhelm of a big emotion, which is why we don't wanna go there. So we, the expectation is that you don't actually have to go there, you just have to allow there to be while you hold the space for yourself of where you can trust so again you know it's not having great expectations that you're going to be able to absolutely see this little being she's going to be look as if real you know as if like a I don't know a hologram or something that's that that's generally not what happens people expect that they'll be able to see things clearly or they'll be able to recognize themselves or that there'll be information that will come through in our normal five senses but actually the information comes through in all sorts of ways sometimes you'll get you know, people think people say, "Well, this this phrase has just appeared in my mind. I can hear my auntie saying this, or, oh, I remember this particular smell." So there's lots of senses that come into it, but because we generally we imagine it's going to be a clear image because we're very visually oriented these days. So yeah, I think an expectation is that it would be visual, and it isn't always visual at all. And would you say that, so what would be your advice for people who are, is it like, like a form of meditation, will their eyes be closed, do they need, what do they need to be aware of to create the right space environment for that? Um, Key is, you can do it with your eyes closed, that often helps you to, to receive more because visually we're being bombarded by what we see with our eyes open anyway. So it is good to close your eyes, but some people don't want to close their eyes. The most important thing is that you can feel a sense of safe, safety. Yeah. to feel safe and so when I'm working with clients the, 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 I mean generally I work with people who I've met but when it's a new client that I've never met before the first session is totally about me tuning into how safe we can create the situation for them because it's not about me creating safety it's about you creating it and I assist and support you in that creation of a sense of safety because if there isn't that sense of safety then we are in one of our programs we're in one of our beings and one of our parts of our personality and in lockdown, that might be being a bit creative. I did a, a workshop recently, and uh, one of one of the ladies on there was in her car because that was the only quiet place she could go and not be interrupted. Um, I was on a, a podcast recently. Uh, we were talking about the, the the lockdown situation, and my attitude is that you know maybe you need to lock yourself in the bathroom if that's the only place, and they everyone can just wee in the garden. It's okay. You're allowed. To, you must be able to create a space for a short period of time. Uh, for yourself because you're going to be in major trouble if you don't do that so we're giving everyone who's listening permission to yeah. do whatever they need to do within reason to yeah to give themselves shared anything give themselves uh, a space a karma space on the uh, on Friday tomorrow for so they can really enjoy not just the show but the healing at the end um, and uh, is there anything else you'd like 
to to describe about the healing or any, any other information you want to share on this before we say goodbye until tomorrow uh, well what i'd like to share with everybody is that, uh, that this is the, the healing journey to me now is a really fun experience but not fun in a in a happy happy clappy way it's fun in um the fact that it's juicy <laughs> it's um there's so much beauty in what we do. You know, there's beauty in in the fear. There's beauty in the hatred. There's beauty in the love. There's beauty in the compassion. So every aspect of what we do is full of juice and beauty. In yoga, we call it rasa. Rasa is the juice of life. It's the beauty of life. Everything has its rasa, everything. And so appreciating that, firstly, we are all doing our very, very best in every moment. And secondly, that even when it's rubbish, it's full of rasa. It's full of this juicy beauty. And because of the juice and the beauty, we experience love. And that is the ultimate. Yeah, that's a lovely way to finish. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'm so looking forward to uh, the session tomorrow. Yes. Bye for now, Marion. Oh, just before we go, how can find, people find out more about you? Uh, so the, the the Find Your Why Foundation is the business that I am focusing most of my energies on at the moment. The Find Your Why Foundation is a great community and we help people to find out not only your why, your purpose, you know, the reason why you're here, but why are you where you are right now in your life? Brilliant. Thank you. I'll, add, I'll make sure I'll add a link to, to the video in the podcast. Bye for now, Marin. Bye.